Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program. I'm Steve Z. Let's get right to it. Welcome back to another edition of the Truth Hurts Program for Cinco de Mayo 2021. I am Steve Z, a moderator of this little exercise in identifying the double standard, the hypocrisy, and the overreach by an ever-increasing government. A government which is seeking to put its tentacles deeper and deeper into every orifice of your body, your business, your finances, your personal life, your privacy, and your ability to protect yourself. A government that is within itself seeking to destroy the very principles of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and civil rights of the majority of the American population. With 330 million plus actual American citizens, not to mention the additional 10 to 15 percent illegal population that has invaded our nation, snuck across our borders, and implanted themselves as sucking off of the government tit members of our society, we have a right, a responsibility to do everything in our power to keep our Constitution alive and our Constitutional Republic alive and kicking. I told you on this very program just about six months ago that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had overstepped their authority, overrun their bounds, exceeded their ability to do what it was designed to do, help cure disease. The CDC has never, is never, and will never have the power to control areas of the economy. The economy has absolutely nothing to do with sickness, disease, and prevention. A federal judge today threw out a national eviction moratorium stating that the COVID-19 Wuhan China novel coronavirus pandemic that caused the CDC to issue a moratorium against evictions was illegal, unconstitutional, and indeed exceeded the powers of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The ruling from U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, Judge Dabney Friedrich negated the program, which has helped millions and millions of tenants get away with not paying rent for the past year plus in our nation. It's about damned time. The pendulum is starting to swing back in the direction of common sense, of economy, and of the notion that people have to be responsible for their own actions. Finally, some of these landlords will be able to throw these bums out on their lazy asses. These bums who got unemployment, plus bonus money each and every week on top of their unemployment, plus pandemic COVID relief checks of $1,200, $900, and then $600 and have gotten away for one entire year or more without paying their rent with zero consequences. Someone should go back and tell the gropey Joe Biden administration that a refund is owed to those landlords or that anyone who failed to pay their rent was indeed in breach of contract, in breach of their lease, 
in breach of their obligation to pay their rent. And they should be made to pay their rent or they should be treated like thieves for walking out of a store or a restaurant without paying for what you walked out with or what you ate. Failing to pay rent while sucking off the government tit and collecting your unemployment, your bonuses, your COVID relief checks, and in some cases, even PPP money, and not paying your rent is an absolute crime. And it's about damn time that a U.S. District Court judge has the balls to call a spade a spade. Of course, you know, those on the left will appeal to the Court of Appeals and or the U.S. Supreme Court. Because after all, you can't build a socialist communist state if you require people to pay their way and earn their own livings. You can't build your socialist, communist, progressive, liberal nanny state if you are requiring people to fulfill their obligations. You can't build that nanny state if you're pulling people off that government tit. We'll be right back. On an earlier edition of the program, I talked to you about Facebook's phony oversight board ruling to uphold the social network's ban on Donald Trump for the time being. Several lawmakers have lashed out at the Facebook oversight board's ruling. Driving the discontent was that this so-called oversight board, a quasi-court that confers over some of Facebook's content decisions, was bought and paid for by Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. And they didn't make a black and white decision about the case that Donald Trump had been blocked in January because his comments were allegedly the cause of inciting a riot at the Capitol building. If you recall, Donald Trump was across the ellipse giving a very peaceful speech, a very supportive speech to hundreds of thousands of his supporters. And at that same moment, not at the direction of Donald Trump saying, okay, the speech is over, go to the Capitol and F some things up, go to the Capitol and whoop some Democrats' asses. No, no, no. During the speech, pre-planned activities of BLM, of Antifa, and yes, some uber-radical Trump supporters, they all marched over to the Capitol to express either their discontent with the sham election or to protest against those who were there to complain about the election results. While this phony oversight board said that Facebook was justified in suspending Donald Trump at the time because of the risk of further violence, it also said the company needs to revisit its actions. The board said Facebook's move was a vague standardless penalty without defined limits, which needs to be reviewed again on a final decision on Mr. Trump's account in the next six months. In other words, we're going to give you six more months to ban Donald Trump. Meanwhile, many, many, many of Donald Trump's supporters, many conservatives, and several liberals and progressives, along with a large group of libertarians, are agreeing that Facebook has no business banning, at least at that time, a sitting United States president, much less any citizen, because nothing in Trump's speeches incited the violence. Hell, the man was impeached, and he was acquitted, which means not guilty. Trump should have been allowed back on Facebook that very day, the day of his acquittal. 
Republicans and Democrats are extremely upset. Republican lawmakers have pointed to Trump's ouster by Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms as evidence of an alleged anti-conservative campaign by tech giants, calling out the decisions as a dangerous precedent for censorship, especially of political figures and popular people who don't agree with the social network's political views. Senator Ted Cruz, the Republican outspoken congressman from Texas, tweeted that the board's decision was disgraceful and warned that it could have dangerous ripple effects. In Cruz's tweet, he said, For every liberal celebrating Trump's social media ban, if the big tech oligarchs can muzzle the former president, what's to stop them from silencing you? Mr. Cruz would be correct. Senator Marsha Blackburn is a Republican from Tennessee, and she said in a statement that the move showed, quote, it's clear that Mark Zuckerberg views himself as the arbiter of free speech, unquote. Republican members of the House Judiciary Committee tweeted that the decision was pathetic, and Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, the ranking member, tweeted about Facebook, break them up. And it should be. Facebook and the other social media giants are no different than Ma Bell, the giant Bell telephone system that was forced to divest and diversify and divide up because of their monopolistic tactics in the late 20th century. Democrats took aim at how Facebook could be used to spread lies. They expressed dissatisfaction with this murky decision of the so-called board. Frank Pallone is the chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. He's a Democrat and he tweeted, Donald Trump has played a big role in helping Facebook spread disinformation, but whether he's on the platform or not, Facebook and other social media platforms with the same business model will find ways to highlight divisive content in order to drive advertising revenues. Ken Buck is a Republican House of Representatives member from Colorado. He's the ranking member of the House Antitrust Subcommittee, and he accused the Oversight Board of political bias. Scholars who support free speech, however, have welcomed the decision. They've warned that as social media companies become more active in determining what stays online and what doesn't, it could potentially lead a slippery slope where tech giants have too much sway over digital freedom of speech. As I said, many, many of the listeners to the Truth Hurts program have dumped Facebook altogether in favor of competing smaller platforms which are growing by the day such as Parler and MeWe. What do you think? Are you giving Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook the old heave-ho? No obscene language, except for the occasional damned hell, crap, bitch, or bullshit. And the FCC cannot do a damn thing about it. The Truth Hurts program, where we tell it like it is. It's true, freedom of speech does still live on this particular podcast platform, but for how long, my friends? That is always the big question. Derek Chauvin was convicted of murdering the criminal thug drug addict George Floyd. And now more and more information is being found out about the jurors, as well as all of the tampering that went on as part of the jury's decision. Several jurors have come forward saying that it was statements like those from Maxine Waters and Gropey Joe Biden and the threat of having the city burned to the ground or having those jurors become victims themselves that coerced them into voting guilty. The judge himself even said 
that some of the actions in the media and of Democrat politicians could certainly have handed grounds for an appeal. And now it appears that Chauvin and his attorneys will be appealing the guilty verdict. According to NBC News, just now, a Chauvin juror participated in the 2020 March on Washington. Is that grounds for appeal? You betcha. This article, highly biased, of course, towards the 13% AA hyphenated American lie of systemic racism, reads as follows. A juror in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer convicted of murdering George Floyd, participated in last summer's March on Washington, a move that is coming under scrutiny after Chauvin's attorney has requested a new trial on several grounds, including juror misconduct. The attorney, Eric Nelson, did not refer to the juror's participation in the march in his request for a new trial Tuesday. Chauvin, who is white, was convicted last month of second and third degree murder and second degree manslaughter in Floyd's death last May 25th. In a photo from last August's commitment march that surfaced recently, the juror, a Blafrican American, Brandon Marshall, is seen wearing a t-shirt with an image of Martin Luther King Jr. and the phrase, Get your knee off our necks, the name of the march itself. In the photo, he, the black juror, is seen smiling alongside two men and wearing a hat that says BLM for Black Lives Matter. Mitchell did not respond to requests for comment, but he has defended his participation in the march, which was held on the 57th anniversary of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech at the first march on Washington. Mitchell told the Minneapolis Star Tribune that he did not view the march as being against police brutality and that it was 100% not a rally for Floyd. Bullshit. Period. He claims that the opportunity to go to D.C., the opportunity to be around thousands and thousands of black people, I just thought it was a good opportunity to be part of something, he told the newspaper. Many have speculated that Mitchell's participation in the march could be grounds for an appeal, and I would damn sure think it would be. Now that this has come out, it is obvious that this man was tainted and on a mission to convict a white man of killing a criminal drug addict thug. Legal scholars are stepping up now and saying that it is certainly possible that finding out this information after the fact could be used as support for an appeal. But other legal scholars say that at the end of the day, irrespective of this particular juror's specific comments, Chauvin's attorneys would have to show that had this man not served on the jury or disclosed this information, or had this information not been found out after the fact, the verdict would have been different. And that's a very high standard to meet. It is possible that Mitchell, as well as many of the other jurors, could be questioned during what is called a Schwartz hearing to determine whether an outside influence indeed prejudiced the jury. Mitchell says he has no recollection of wearing or owning that shirt. Typical BM movement response. I personally think he's a lying sack of crap because he's the first one to go public about the trial and the deliberations. He said before the trial he had never watched the bystander video of Floyd's encounter with Minneapolis police in its entirety because it was too gruesome. 
If it was too gruesome, how would you know that unless you watched it in your entirety, you lying sack of syphilitic sheep shit? Sorry. This lying black African-American juror told the Star Tribune that he had answered no to two questions on a questionnaire for potential jurors. The first question asked whether he or someone close to him had participated in any of the demonstrations or marches against police brutality that took place in Minneapolis after Floyd's death. The second one asked, other than what you have already described above, have you or anyone close to you participated in protests about police use of force or police brutality? He said no to that one as well. He lied. Chauvin was found guilty. It is a simple open and shut case of jury tampering, jury bias, and a man on the jury lying to get on that jury. Let's just hope. And I'm not saying that Derek Chauvin was a lily-white, innocent, sweet man, but he certainly did not murder George Floyd. George Floyd murdered George Floyd. Chauvin just happened to be there at that miserable excuse for a human being's last moment. We'll be right back. Speaking of the Derek Chauvin call for a new trial, it was done so on multiple grounds. Chauvin's attorney's team has filed a motion in Hennepin County, Minnesota, requesting a new trial for the former Minneapolis police officer, alleging jury misconduct and citing several other factors. The motion was filed yesterday by Chauvin's attorney, Eric Nelson, alleging that the ex-officer did not get a fair trial because of the high-profile publicity in the case. It alleged Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill abused his discretion by ruling not to move the trial or to sequester the jury for the duration of the trial. The motion also said Cahill's denial of granting a new trial after police said a defense witness's former home was vandalized was improper. The motion also alleges prosecutorial misconduct, stating that the state attorneys disparaged the defense in their closing argument and failed to properly prepare witnesses ahead of their testimony. The motion also requests a hearing to impeach the verdict of the jury over accusations that the jury committed misconduct, they felt threatened or intimidated, they felt race-baited, and or they failed to adhere to the jury's instructions. Photos surfaced this week, of course, showing that one Mr. Mitchell, the black juror with the get-your-knees-off-our-neck shirt and a BLM hat. I think a new trial is the very least that this man, Derek Chauvin, is owed. But that's just my opinion. I read something just a few moments ago that has me scratching my head. It's an article written by the Tribune Continent Agency. Rachel Marsden writes, Just wondering, do these new, woke, intersectional, cisgendered, millennial CIA officers have to support Iranian regime change too? Seemed like a good thing to ask, since the CIA just released a new video last week aimed at increasing workforce diversity. The over-the-top ad has been roundly mocked, with some commentators saying that America's foes are probably laughing. Ironically, the exaggerated notion of diversity conveyed by the ad risks keeping the CIA about as ideologically diverse as a 1950s country club. Has anyone considered that perhaps that was the intent all along? First, a few words about the ad and its sledgehammer subtlety. It looks as if someone said, 
we need a new recruitment campaign that's grotesquely over the top and jams in as many politically correct buzzwords as possible in order to trigger debate over identity politics. This ad, if you haven't seen it, shows a Latina woman casually walking around CIA headquarters as she describes herself. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a cisgender millennial who has been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. The CIA operators of the future will apparently be asking, is this target I'm supposed to vaporize a he, a she, or a she? The video is about as subtle as anything else the CIA puts out in order to galvanize political opinion, usually against foreign targets. It's difficult to imagine that this latest piece of propaganda could merely be a recruiting tool that went out over its skis. The CIA's Canadian counterpart, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, released a series of recruitment ads back in 2012 depicting officers strolling around Canadian cities while following suspects. The underlying message seemed to be Watch this Canadian spy never leave Canada. But the CIA's new video is more than merely ineffective. One must wonder whether the CIA's over-the-top recruitment drive was meant to distract or to deceive. This wouldn't be the first time that the CIA co-opted radical cultural elements within American society. Remember American feminist icon Gloria Steinem? By her own admission, she received backing from a CIA-subsidized front group, the Independent Research Service, to recruit students to attend the Soviet-controlled World Youth Festivals in Vienna back in 1959 and in Helsinki in 1962. The aim appeared to be to create a parallel democratic counter-revolution in the U.S. to undercut any attempt to infuse Western society with Soviet ideological influence at the height of the Cold War. Steinem later said, In my experience, the agency was completely different from its image. It was liberal, nonviolent, and honorable. Would anyone have guessed at the time that the face of progressive feminism in the 1960s of America had connections to the stuffed shirts in the American intelligent establishment? Not likely. Nor would it have been obvious what motivates the CIA to establish an alliance with Gloria Steinem. Fast forward to this year, 2021, and we're once again seeing the CIA co-opt and promote woke leftist social engineering, this time under the guise of recruitment. The question should not be why the CIA would want to hire woke leftists, but why a spy organization that's supposed to be secretive is openly countering the notion that it would want to be. It's difficult to imagine that the CIA wasn't fully aware of the kind of reaction the ad would provoke. As experts in targeted propaganda and its impact, CIA leaders had to know that would spark a debate about whether the agency is becoming too wrapped up in identity politics. It's also hard to ignore that while everyone is busy debating these frivolities, no one is discussing whether CIA is facing a more serious problem, which is a lack of ideological diversity with regard to the world view of its officers. Who really cares whether CIA officers are woke? What we should really want to know is how many of them have a multipolar worldview versus a supremacist one. How many CIA officers believe the agency's role is to protect the USA from actual threats rather than promoting global expansionism and mercantilism under the pretext of national security? How many view Russia, China, 
and Iran as sworn enemies that should be targeted for regime change as opposed to countries with interests of their own that happen to diverge from our U.S. agenda. While we're all wrapped up in this identity politics debate sparked by the CIA, we're actually neglecting the real debate about political and ideological diversity within the agency as it relates to spy work and America's place in the world. This article from Rachel Marsden, who is a columnist, a political strategist, and the host of an independently produced French-language program that airs on Soutenique France, is kind of on the mark here. Is it really the CIA's goal to put a bunch of transgender, aberrant lifestyle people into its ranks for the purpose of making the leftists in our country happy that we're finally getting away from single white men as agents? Or could it be we need to put these clowns, these freaks, these aberrant lifestyle people into the CIA because you can pick out suit and tie wearing, sunglass wearing, earpiece wearing white guy out of a crowd very easily? Are they really looking to recruit the weirdos? It's highly possible. Not every CIA agent you know walks around in a suit and tie and drives a Ford sedan. Some of them host podcast shows and pose as mild-mannered, working American citizens. Some ride skateboards to the subway tracks while wearing holy jeans, flip-flops, long hair, and facial piercings. Some of them might appear just to be a mild-mannered custodian at a local university. A woman was arrested on Sunday for repeatedly attacking a flight attendant and verbally abusing another flight attendant, and she is said to now be receiving a mental evaluation and mental health treatment, having been released on a $15,000 bond. Chanasia Campbell, age 28, was said to have become irate because her garbage was not picked up by crew members. The alleged assault occurred midway through an American Airlines flight from Miami to New York City. Campbell of Brooklyn, New York, is accused of striking a flight attendant multiple times and knocking the woman to the floor. An off-duty NYPD officer happened to be aboard the plane at the time of this misconduct. The criminal complaint filed Monday reports that the officer subdued the aggressive passenger and placed her in restraints, for which she remained in those restraints for the rest of the flight to New York. A criminal complaint was filed in New York claiming Campbell followed the first flight attendant down the aisle, during which time she complained that no one had picked up her garbage. A second flight attendant attempted to intervene and physically separate the two women, according to the complaint. However, the attempt to defuse the situation seemingly backfired on the second flight attendant when Campbell became even more irate after her involvement and allegedly pulled the second flight attendant's hair. Afterward, Campbell walked away but yelled at another passenger in the process. She then soon returned to scream obscenities at that second flight attendant. Court documents report Campbell yelled at one point, quote, cops aren't going to do anything to me, unquote, before striking the flight attendant with closed fists. The complaint also noted the flight attendant whom Campbell allegedly assaulted sustained scrapes, bruises, and a strained neck, sure, but reportedly declined medical attention. Campbell appeared via teleconference in federal court in Brooklyn Monday on federal charges of interfering with a flight crew. 
She was released on $15,000 bond and has travel restrictions imposed. Her public defender, James Darrow, stated during the hearing that his client is currently participating in a state-run mental health treatment program. According to the legal website findlaw.com, acts of interference with a flight crew that don't quite rise to the level of criminal conduct can still warrant hefty fines by the FAA. Those penalties can result in fines of up to $25,000 per violation, and multiple violations, as in this incident, can be charged. That doesn't even include the personal assault and battery on those two flight attendants, which are criminal matters. And as usual, noticeably missing from this article is the fact that Ms. Campbell is an African-American, a 13% AA-hyphenated American AA minority. They didn't mention that one single time in the article. But that, boys and girls, is the double standard under which we all live. If that would have been a white woman and a black flight attendant, all you would hear right now is how racist that entire encounter was. When all is said and done, usually much more is said than is ever done. This guy says it better than anyone else on planet Earth, the incredible Steve Z. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Truth Hurts program for Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, 2021. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, the Truth Hurts program network. All rights reserved.